Hey everybody, the band is warming up and so are we. This week we are celebrating Black History Month with an amazing one-on-one -on -one interview with someone who started in an all-black drum corps in the early 80s. Then we get to hear what made Tom go. Maybe not the cleanest of things, but the energy was just like, you know, so thick in the air, you know, your goosebumps, your, you know. And made Nicole say. Oh, I never knew that. Okay. Wow. All this and more on this week's On a Water Break. Let's go. Set it up. Top of the show. Form. Check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And we'll see you at the show. Welcome to another episode of On The Water Break, the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break. This week, we have a great group of hosts and some amazing interviews coming up for the month of February as we celebrate Black history and the marching arts. Before we bring in those guests, let's see who's hanging out with us on the sidelines this week. Let's start with Nicole, fresh off some interviews that we are going to be hearing soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Girl's been doing it. I think that I'm just going to change my profession. You know, I, I've missed a calling somewhere. I'm going to go back and grab it. But <clears throat> I've been doing the work, um, uh, putting in the feet hours. Uh, my feet hurt. We did a bunch today. Um, but it's so good, though. So, so good. I'm I'm proud of myself. I needed a little bit of direction, but I'm proud of myself. I think that everyone's going to love it and learn a lot about um, HBCU. I cannot wait to hear it. I am so excited for these episodes to come out. Tom is here with us. How's it going, Tom? Oh, it's going great here in sunny California. <laughs> yes, always bragging. I feel like it is raining here. And Tom is like, it's always sunny here. <laughs> You're not in Philadelphia. What are you talking about? <laughs> and we have a guest host joining us today. Please welcome Daniel Bostick. Hello, uh, I'm happy to be here. How are you? We're good. Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. Uh, well, my background, I've been involved in the activity since the early 80s. More recently, I've come out of retirement to start teaching again, which is just an absolute joy. Uh, so before we jump into this rehearsal, I heard, Daniel, that you are very familiar with our guest this week, Julian. So, Daniel, tell us, how do you know Julian, and uh, what do you know about him? First and foremost, Julian is my brother. He always will be. Julian and I met when I first started teaching here in Philadelphia, and we've remained close ever since. We've been through, involved in some great moments together, some great memories. And you guys were involved with uh, at the same group at Light Brigade? Yep, absolutely. My first teaching job. I, mm -hmm. met, I, I met the brilliant Julian then, yep. Well, I am so glad we have you on this week to give us a good intro for Julian. Uh, so I'm going to hand the Long Ranger over to Nicole and Trevor and let them get started with their interview with Julian. Thanks, guys. As you know, February is Black History Month, and this month on a water break, we'll be talking to Black people in the marching activity. Uh, we want to explore the history of the marching arts from all perspectives, and this is a perfect way to get to really get a historical Black perspective on an activity that is predominantly seen as white. 
the marching arts has historic roots in the military. And because of that, many Black Americans were not initially included in these activities. When a drum corps started, they basically consisted of drums, some fife, maybe some rifles guarding the American flag. It was around the 1960s that youth started really participating in the community-based organizations, and they began to reject the military style of drum corps. The start of the modern-day artistic expression begins, and a whole new age of the marching arts commences. We'll be exploring more of that total drum corps history in future episodes in this podcast. Thank you, Nicole. This time we will, we will focus on a historical perspective that brings together so many facets of our activity, all seen through a person that has done more for African-Americans in this activity than could mm. have ever been known. Mm. As an instructor, designer, choreographer, adjudicator, mentor, and so much more. Our guest has led numerous organizations to championships from the local to the national circuits. In 2005, this person received the Volunteer of the Year Award from WGI. Wow. Mark, Baltimore, Maryland is where our guest started his marching experience. Hearing the blended sounds of drums and bugles being played slightly from his house gave reason for his curiosity. Annual events such as the I Am an American Day Parade, the Black Eyed Susan Parade, the Preakness Parade, and many more allowed for drum corps, uh, marching band, color guard, majorettes, and drill teams to be viewed and appreciated by the surrounding communities. Finally, getting the opportunity to perform with all adult uh, Falcons Drum and Bugle Corps at the tender age of 13. 13! Our guest found his passion and ran with it. As a lead soprano, horn player, first chair, and his tenacity for being the best at what he put himself into, he would earn the title position of captain for the Corps. He would recruit both of his brothers and 20 young men from the local and surrounding neighborhoods to round out the current membership of the Falcon Drum Corps. While performing at an exhibition for a local color guard contest in 1976, our next guest witnessed what would change his perspective forever. Please welcome our guest, Julian Williams. How you guys doing? <laughs> Good. Now, we usually say Brother Williams, Mr. Williams, Julian. So if I go between those, <laughs> I'm, please... I'm fine with that. <laughs> okay. I lived in Baltimore, Maryland on Division Street. Street on Lawn Street was a drum and bugle corps hall. They were known as the Falcons Drum and Bugle Corps. They were all African-American. So mm. as my, from my bedroom window every Tuesday and Thursday, I could hear them guys playing. I mean, and like, it was like the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> I would hear this thing every summer because they were, I mean, every fall, they were getting themselves prepared for parades. They weren't, they weren't competitive as far as field. And um, finally, one day after just, it just drove me crazy. I went up in the hall and, and uh, uh, got kicked out <laughs> uh i came back in and the director was named mr willie mcknight who is now deceased and i said mr mcknight i would like to join this drum corps uh if possible he said to me that they didn't take kids at the time not being too um crushed behind that i said okay i kept on coming back <laughs> so what happened was I, for Christmas, I asked my mom to buy me, back then, a bugle. <laughs> so they weren't soprano horn players, you know what I mean? 
They weren't Sopranos back then, you know. And she bought me one, and I and my favorite musician or jazz player at the time was Chuck Manzioni. Well, I took that album and I mastered "Feel So Good." If you remember that song, oh, it's a great song, great track. And I snuck up in the band in the band room, and I hid behind this long cabinet they had in the room, and I waited for everybody. And I had to be there almost an hour just waiting for everybody to filter in there. And when they started warming up, I stood up behind the counter and I played feel so good. Now, I thought I was going to get the crap beat out of me. They all looked at me and I looked at them. And of course, I'm amongst adults and I'm freaking out like, okay, what's going to happen next? And Willie McKnight, who was the director of the corps, he grabbed me by my arm as if like a cop would grab <laughs> He took me around to my mother and he said, Francis, I told him I don't want kids in this core, but this guy plays so beautifully. Can he march with us? <laughs> and that's how I joined the Falcons from the real core. Brother Julian, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this was a predominantly black drum corps? It's an African-American drum corps called the uh, Falcons Drum and Beautiful Corps out of Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They they were around from the like the sixties up until nineteen seventy-five when I actually joined. Um they began to branch out a, across the Baltimore metropolitan area. I talked to twenty of the guys in the neighborhood. By the way, they were all black and it was all it was all male. All the guys that I talked to, including my brothers, decided to do it. Uh, unexpectedly, people from Towson, people from Govins, people from um, uh, East Baltimore, they also did it. And what happened was it wound up getting bigger than they expected. And they had to move the drum corps from where I live from around the corner to East Baltimore. Under the new um, sponsorship, they had to change their name. And the name became the Baltimore Police Boys Drum and Bugle Corps. Wow. Now, when most people, most people hear that, they think, okay, Baltimore Police Boys Drum and Bugle Corps and these kids, uh, African-American kids, there had to be some kind of uh, scheme behind that. But really, there wasn't. <laughs> there truly wasn't. Every last one of those um, directors, instructors, or whatever the case may be, came from DCI. I mean, I'm sorry, from DCA. And, okay. Yeah. And the, and the first thing that I asked was the color guard instructor, who was teaching the drum corps at the time, was named John Carter, who was actually on rifle with the Reading Buccaneers. So, what did this drum corps do? They performed in all the events in Baltimore and the surrounding local areas, Virginia and Maryland, and uh, I think Philadelphia as well. And they did a lot of parades: the Black Eyed Susan, the Preakness Parade, the um, African-American Parade, the, oh my God, the, the, so many they did. And we <clears throat> were so proud to see them, you know, mm -hmm. every every summer marching down Pennsylvania Avenue, which was like a huge parade. I mean, it went on for miles. And by the time that you, it, it filtered through certain areas of Baltimore and you got down to the Riverian stand, you literally ran from where you watched them at all the way to the end just to see that final performance. Wow. And, and the more that I saw that, the more that I got interested for like from 75, 76. And I find, I mean, I mean, 74, 75. 
And then in 76, I got, I really, I got a part. I joined the group. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. What a, what a great story. Wow. Great yeah. Story. See, he talks about all these timeline things and it's just like, I had no idea this stuff was going on before I was born. I, I, I'm amazed by it. Um, so I want to ask, because I, I always want to know how the climate of the actual environment is, you know, as associated to our bubble. So being in Baltimore, was there probably not much discrimination or issues going on during that time when you were performing with the Falcon Drum and Bugle Corps? You know what? We didn't pay attention to that uh, as far as um, neighborhood-wise. Geographically, uh, there were some areas that you they didn't want you in. But, you know, you got to understand, man, that um, the drum corps I was a part of, once it, it changed over from the Falcon Drum Bugle Corps, to the the Baltimore Police Boys Drum Group for it went from seventy five adults to one hundred and twenty boys. I don't think nobody was going to bother us. Trust <laughs> <me>. No, <laughs> trust me, because we we uh, I think I think there was a kinetic thing that 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 started that we had something that we didn't know we had. We those kids never missed any practice. Not mm. every rehearsal they were there learning something. I mean, there was never uh, no one not there. And the beautiful thing about it, let me, let me throw this in there, the, because the Baltimore Police uh, Department was so happy that they finally had their very first drum and bugle corps. They supplied buses to pick every kid up from around the city of Baltimore to bring them to East Baltimore and take them back to the location where they picked them up at. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. And so we, um, our first time out, um, we're in the old uniforms. Oh my God, the uniforms were so rusty and smelled so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they had to be thirty years old. And um, we did our first parade, which was called the I Am an American Day Parade. We kept hearing this roar every time we did something. We kept hearing this roar. Of course, we're young kids. We don't we don't we're not paying attention to it. But it was for us because we we sound good. But of course. We're, we're not educated to listen to ourselves. So we don't know we're sounding good because it's so many of us. But, you know, once we figured it out, everybody started mastering their craft. And, you know, independently, we started practicing at my house. Uh, people that lived in um, West Baltimore, people living in South Baltimore started practicing in, uh, in the park. People in North Baltimore started practicing in the playground. And then we all gathered together and it just became one big, just with one big brotherhood, man. It, it was it was the most beautiful thing in the world, and that's how I got started in drum corps. So, were you competing then? We were competing just in dressing parades. Oh my god, we did so many parades; it was ridiculous, and we won every last one of them. Now we got we got to a point we got so good. Willie McKnight, the band director, won to challenge us at the. Um, the uh the state championship parade which was held every year in ocean city back then there was a group called the white knights um that was the king of kings you know what i mean and the beautiful thing about that they were all white but they sounded good and they and we all got along pretty decent and um they were undefeated before we came there <laughs> <laughs> and then in uh our first year down there in 1976 we won Won the um, Maryland State Championship, 1977. We won, won the Maryland State Championship, and the following year, that that same year, 
at the end of the, my marching band season, I, I left and that's how I got into the color guard. That, and that and that takes us to our our next point, uh, uh, Julian. Um, so you 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 articulately broke down how your career started in the marching arts as that as that horn player uh, and what wonderful stories you just told us. And then now we see a transition that you get caught up um, and and get and get bit by the color guard bug, and you mm-hmm. went on to march uh, the troopers uh, mm-hmm. in the troopers color guard. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the Troopers and how that impacted your life? The drum corps did an exhibition at Douglas High School where the show was held at. And at the time, Troopers Color Guard was called the D.H. Troop, D.H. Ducks. <laughs> I don't know how the world got a name like that, but it was, that was horrible. <laughs> and um, we, they, were asked, they asked us to do an exhibition at halftime between that and the Color Guard show. So we did, and um, I didn't really pay attention to the first half of the Color Guard show, but I paid attention to the second half. The very first group that I saw go on was called the 156 Challenges. Not only did they catch my eye, a young lady caught my eye that was in the group, and I kind of paid attention to them real cool. Now, if I'm correct, um, they did the Sergeant Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band show. No. What was that? I'm sorry, Elton John's funeral for a friend. And um, now, now that's you, what you hear it in the background, probably. So that's where I'm leading to. The young lady who I was watching, uh, I caught. Uh, we caught each other's eye. Oh, I love it. I love it. I and, do love it. Yeah, and um, she watched 156 challenges, and um. You know, we want up meeting everybody around the country or on the East Coast, rather. And then um, I can jump to this part now. Some 35 years later, I married her. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Bands, but, uh, bands still bringing people together. I love oh, it. yeah. But um, going back to the, the how I got involved in the Color Guard, John Carter, who was the Color Guard instructor from the Reading Buccaneers, he was doing some stuff down there that I thought was really unique. And I'm standing there watching them, of course, on break. And inside the multi-purpose room, there was a shuffleboard. And after he finished, he put the he put his rifle down on shuffleboard, on the shuffleboard, and went and got the soda. I took the rifle, went down into the gym, and I just did what he did. Hmm. And he saw it. He said, Hey, um, where did you learn to do that? I said, I just saw you do it a couple of months ago. That's the first time I ever picked up a rifle. He said, oh my God, you need to come join my color guard. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I had never heard the word color guard before. And I went up there and they were, um, they were all girls. And I was the first guy to ever join them. And oh. the rest is history. There you go. So were the Clippers predominantly black? Douglas High School is Douglas High School, um, uh, historically black high school and oh, yeah okay. the, the marching band is is was well known that they were they okay. were well known on the east coast and they were really cool and he he taught the color guard and only only time the color guard got to be noticed was halftime during football games back then you did triple standing still but nobody seen you do a triple turn triple as you walk forward and turn around and from that point on john said well I want you to start teaching the rifle line. I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and, and that's how I put it. I made up stuff. Now, making up stuff and mm-hmm. teaching stuff 
it's two different things because sometimes they couldn't get it. They were so used to doing the standard drop spin, which was which was formatted back then, and the um, uh, the right shoulder, left shoulder arms, the present, and all that stuff like that. And I guess I was yeah. uh, maybe two years ahead of that time, but fortunately, and um, it did transition really well with the older uh, people leaving and the younger uh, kids coming back, uh, coming into the group, and it became the Troopers Color Guard. And I stayed with them from 1977 to 1982. Nice. Wow. Let's reset. Hey, this is Nicole, one of your hosts for On a Water Break. And I want to tell you about The Cookout. The Cookout is an event celebrating people of color in Color Guard. This event is happening in Dayton, Ohio, April 16th, the day after WGI finals at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel, a.k.a. headquarters. There will be presenters and speakers, networking opportunities, food, and more. To get more information on how to get your tickets to go to the cookout, visit marchingcookout.com or visit our Instagram. It's the cookout CG or our Facebook page, the cookout. We can't wait to see you there. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. Shop our extensive consignment inventory for great looks for your team that won't break your budget. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. Check out our fun merchandise and gift items. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Contact us for custom show design services. Clean out your storage areas and get money back into your budget with our consignment program. Guard Closet is here to help you get all you want and need this winter season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. So before the break, we had just left off uh, with you marching the troopers. And then shortly after that, you had uh, your design debut in 1983, eight years after you started uh, marching your horn with Charm City C Connection, which was a A-class guard from Baltimore. Can you tell us what was that transi transition like for you, Julian? Um, and how were you received as a designer now? Leaving from the troopers up until from 1977 up to 1982, uh, troopers only won one chapter championship in all those years. I was one of those uh, kind of guys who went up in the stands after we came off and I watched. I started paying attention to why we weren't so successful. I don't know. I don't know how my mind turned into that, but that's just what I did. I watched everybody. From the junior guards up till the open guards, that's what they were called back then. The open guards. My last, my last year, I kind of had a conversation with the instructor and said, "Man, you know, we need to change some things about what we do." So, Julian, you were sitting up there watching the open class uh, groups, watching the other groups compete. Can you tell us, like, maybe dig deeper into? Uh, what you saw, like what what was missing from the productions that you were involved in, um, and and what did you learn from a design standpoint while watching these other um, groups perform? What did you take away from them? I saw the message of appreciation from the from the open guards. Almost every 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 sixteen counts, somebody was clapping for something, and that wasn't happening with the A guards. 
it was almost like um and not just troopers it was like the the, the whole the whole entire age structure was more different from the open class but the open class had a more better foundation because they had clarity and with that clarity they you had you understood why the tricks were happening why some of the designs were happening to create those tricks and what was their final climax to make you even sit down and give them a clap or stand up and give them a standing ovation. And that's what caught my attention to that. And that's why I say I started paying um, uh, more attention to a lot of people. And, and, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be in the activity from its um, long before WGI, by the way. So as I was in it from its evolution all the way until now. Because WGI didn't start till 77, even though they were in drum corps and the drum corps style feel thing long before that. But I and they went in the in the winter NJA portion of it, I saw the whole beginning from the tick system all the way up until what it is today, you know? Moving from traditional stuff to the modern choreography, like what was happening at this time? The activity in general and how you approached your design. There was a difference as far as dramatic appeal, where where it was no longer the um, the TikTok, TikTok marching became more of tricks. Uh, tricks became more of changing of the music to create those tricks. Tricks came more of design mm -hmm. while doing tricks. And then to what it is now, the philosophical intellectual thought process that half the audience really don't understand. I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. Unless, unless they don't a toss a seven and catching the rifle with all that in between stuff. 90% of those kids don't get it. I, I'm just being honest with you about it, you know? So who was doing it first? Do you remember who was doing it first? Phantom Regiment out of Long Island, New York. Black Watch out of New Jersey. Appaloosa out of Baltimore. Chesapeake Cavaliers out of Baltimore. Um, uh, uh, Lake Les Guillotineers out of Baltimore. Um, so they were creating the envelopes. Oh, oh, it, it, it was almost every like it was like everybody that was in that open class structure had something to offer. 152nd Challenges did something that I still remember to this day. Because, you know, there's some groups that just make you remember what, what they do. They did Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. And the Beatles uh -huh. had the colored jackets and the whole nine yards. Well, Sgt. Pepper came out with the colored jackets and the whole nine yards. Sabres mm -hmm. in one color, rifles in another color, flags in another color. And it was, it was fantastic. Come Sailor May, the, the touch of class. They had uh, uh, did that song and had created this big, Boat, and he sailed right out the gymnasium. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, top hats. Who did? Who did? Um, uh, um, I can't think of the song, but they had ostrich feathers. Uh, it, 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 it was just. It was just. And and to see thirty girls with ostrich feathers was like something that was crazy. Appaloosa. That was my. That was my motivator back then. Nineteen eighty one. They won the NGA championship. You're talking rifle line. That was a rifle line. Yeah. That yeah. was a rifle line. They did what blew the roof off the building when they won the championship. They did the double went down in Georgia. <laughs> the rest is history. The rest <laughs> is history. Call it, it was a wrap. Hey, Julian, can you, can you speak more to 
you know, how people accepted you into like the, the designer world? What was their reaction to you getting in the midst? Um, was it, were you well received? Well, you, you know what? Let, let me, let me take a one, one step back. I, I was going to join Appaloosa, but ironically Appaloosa folded that year. I wound up joining the Squires color guard. And when I joined the Squires, the same mentality I had was all oh, those rifle I had. Those eight, those seven rifles were unbelievable with me. You know what I mean? But they want, they let me teach them. So that was the unique thing. That was my first teaching experience as far as open class. The, the year before that, I taught this group called Charm City Connection. And so this, the director, Evelyn Moody, saw me performing with the troopers there my last year. And she pro approached me and said, hey, would you come down and work with my kids? And I was like, well, I'm a kid myself. You know, she said, well, you know, come down and work, you know, teach them some things. So this is during the summertime. I went down and worked with the boys who would be known as Charm City. I worked with them every day during the summer. Now, their, their fort was they were acrobatic. They couldn't spin out of a box, though. They were, they, I see why they were so bad. They were terrible spinners. So I taught them how to spin also. And with that physicality that they had, I taught the kids how to do a um, grab the bottom of the barrel, toss the rifle up in the air, and do a cartwheel, catch the rifle when it came down, toss the flag from the, from the uh, from the the tip of the bottom of the pole, flip it while it was in the air, lay down and catch the flag, and they mastered this. This was an A class color guard. What year? So, what, what year was this? Uh, Eighty three. Their first year. Their first year in a new change of 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 Charm City. Wow. So from, from everybody laughing at them from 82 and then coming out in 83 and going, damn. <laughs> right. So yeah. I bet I bet I bet you putting all these different elements in the show that people hadn't seen from, from this from this uh, performing group. You must have been a big hit with the members. The, the guys were very faithful to me. And my, my, I, I call them my boys. My boys are very faithful to me. And the, the beautiful thing about it even though the other color guards out there in the world were doing um, very good shows and uh, had the right elements and the right uh, uh, thought processes as far as being in that competitive range, we were A-class guards. So the liberties to be free was to be free and hope that the judges appreciated you. You know what I mean? 30 years later, people come up to me and say, man, I remember, I remember the guys did that, that toss, roll, and catch. And that one kid who jumped backwards through the rifle, how did he do that? So that's the impact they left. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it was just a, such a um, um just a beautiful time back then that uh I could be free to do that. I would, this is this is what made me want to get my own color guard. In 1983, Cavaliers did a exhibition at Lehigh Valley High School. I had never seen nothing like it. And they're doing all these amazing things. These guys were crazy and they were just brilliant. And they were so good. Now, they didn't compete. They did an exhibition. They were so good. They did the exhibition two other times. They did three times in one night because the crowd would just wanted to see it again and again and again. Wow. That's how good they were. Wow. wow. And these cats, these cats were brilliant. So that changed my philosophy about not just wanting to be a part of something, but making the, make, making the crowd appreciate what was coming, win, lose, or draw. I always said, you know, man, if you don't win first, second, or third, you can steal the crowd and make people forget first, second, and third. 
and I've been doing it all my life. You're that's right. great. Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that story. Uh, I think Nicole has something uh, that she wants to ask you, uh, Julie. Well, yeah, I mean, I wanted to circle back a little bit more um, because being a designer, I mean, and I can he I can feel it that you had your whole heart in it. How were you? Oh, how were you taken by, or I guess received by, like other um, white designers being a black designer? Because I'm pretty sure there wasn't a lot of black designers out there when you were first designing. No, there wasn't. The the the, the how I got appreciated was through the judging community. Mary Denniston was one of the top uh, uh, judges in NJA. And then she wound up being, you know, primo numero uno in, in WGI. So she, um, for some reason, she took me under her wing. And she told me, you know, basically how to do things without showing me how to do them. You know, you, you want to make the crowd do this? Then you need to make sure they do this. So she called it the every the every um every a nine count rule. You know, I said, what do you mean every nine count rule? You know, you do something one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, ten, eleven, twelve is the is the is the buildup. 13, 14, 15, 16 is the part you make the crowd go damn. And that's how and that's what she taught me without teaching me. This is what she told me. So every group that I got involved in, that's what I started doing. I started listening to the count structure. And understanding um, why people was uh, doing what they do, and that helped me start learning how to design and put shows together to make the audience uh, appeal more to my group and give the loud and loudest applause and standing ovations more so than the group that was winning. So that was important to me. And um, I always mm-hmm. told the kids, I said, you know, you might not have came in first, second, and third, but trust me, they remembered you. Mark my words, they do. And they right. did. That's awesome. We were at a WGI regional and I saw Sack, bless his sack. And I saw them do rock with sack. And that's when I realized, oh, I can be just as crazy as them. And that's that's why some of the shows you see uh, that I've done with the over the years, that's why I just took that philosophy and ran with it. And how did they take that? Oh, they enjoyed it. I, I'm still friends with Ed Devlin, who's the who's the director to this day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it was um, just an amazing thing that I had seen. Steve Brubaker, who was the director of, of the cadet of the Cavaliers, you know, God rest his soul. He 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 used to, you know, just the conversation we would have, and and one of the greatest. Um, Oh, my God. One of the greatest acknowledgments, I would have to say, was the year Light Brigade, and I'm not jumping ahead of myself, the Light Brigade, we went to the art up in um, uh, Rochester, New York, and we performed, and we we did a show called um, Jump to the Rhythm of the Beat. And I knew, I had never heard the name George Sengali before. I had never heard that name before. Yeah. And um, and I and but I learned that day who he was. He was <laughs> he was in the corner on because that that was the worst stadium ever in life. But he was in the corner and he was it was watching um, troop. I mean, I like for they do their show. 
And he walked over to me when it came off the floor. And this is what this man said to me. He said, never lose your identity. That's all. You got, you got something. And eventually it's going to go a long distance. And, and, I, and I kept it that way. And I, I live to that to this day. So everyone supported your journey. Yeah, every everybody. Um, and don't get me wrong. There was some. Um, I I hate to use the words, but I know I'm not going to use it because I think I don't think prejudice was a word. I think there was favoritism with without allowing people to be successful. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Uh, there were groups out there that you said, "Oh my God, we should have kicked their ass." I, I'm not. I'm not buying that. <laughs> And um, and the crowd, the crowd is they, the crowd is telling you one story, but the judges are telling you another story. And then when you get that that uh, that that uh, recap, you're going, you got to be kidding me. So you know, you you begin to learn um, uh, about the not worrying about first, second, and third, and learn start learning about the educational process to get the first, second, and third. So yeah. that's that's how I had to re. I had to re-turn my thinking around, you know? Right. I want to, I want to, you know, put your trajectory towards some things. Um, so there was one independent guard that has been around for many, many years. And you started on staff with them in 88. And it's called the Light Brigade. Mm-hmm. And I just want to tell you, so my journey in Color Guard, when I was in my A-class group in Virginia, um, I was one of maybe four black people in my guard. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually started when I was 19. So when I started guard, I did not know, you know, what other guards looked like. But I do know once I went into those environments and in that space, I didn't see a lot of people that look like me. And mm-hmm. I remember going to shows in, you know, up in Maryland. And sometimes they would come down to Virginia and I would see Light Brigade. And it was just amazing to me, not only to see black performers, but like a whole guard of black performers. Mm-hmm. It was, it, I was like mouth agape, just watching and just taking it all in. It was, it was great to see. Um, and when I started marching Patriots, well, our first, my first world finals as a world guard, guard you know, performer was in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And that's where I saw them for the first time. But I want to ask you about, you know, the year of 2001, where Light Brigade won A-class bronze at WGI. And how special was watching that finals performance? You know what, that was a culmination of everything that, someone or somebody or a massive uh, uh, cluster of people who taught us, uh, who, who advised us, who showed us, who talked to us. I, I, every, every, every adjective or every thought process you can say to about you should try to do this, 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 that, that culminated to that, to that, that bronze medal. Um, and if you, you know, one of the things that I'll never forget about that was, um, the kids were undefeated the entire year at home. And we didn't know at the time we had something. They went to, it went to one show and they fell apart. Uh, I'll never forget this as long as I live. 
And they won the show, but they only won it by one-tenth of a point over a group that couldn't go to WGI and win that show. There was no way in hell they could do that. When they went to Milwaukee, oh, my God, it it brings tears to my eyes every time I think of it. Because everything was a blur because the kids, they practiced was good. They were on time for everything. They were up. Uh, in the morning, more you know, early before we wanted them to, but everything was running like like clockwork. We we're standing at the tunnel waiting to go in uh, behind the black curtain. They didn't have a tunnel in behind the black curtain, and and one and one of the girls must have she she panicked and threw up right before we had to go on the floor. Oh no! Uh, and she was a right. She was a sable girl, and I'm like. I'm like the father to all these kids. I'm cleaning her butt up, trying to get her right. And I'm, I didn't think until when they set up, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, pro, didn't process and they, they set up that once we got everything on the floor and they said, oh, the judges are, you know, God is ready, the judge is ready. And, and I blanked out and I said to myself, they're going to get a medal there. Uh- Hey, this is Nicole, one of your hosts for On a Water Break, and I want to tell you about The Cookout. The Cookout is an event celebrating people of color in Color Guard. This event is happening in Dayton, Ohio, April 16th, the day after WGI finals at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel, aka headquarters. There will be presenters and speakers, networking opportunities, food, and more. To get more information on how to get your tickets to go to the cookout, visit marchingcookout.com or visit our Instagram, it's the cookout CG, or our Facebook page, The Cookout. We can't wait to see you there. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. Shop our extensive consignment inventory for great looks for your team that won't break your budget. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. Check out our fun merchandise and gift items. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Contact us for custom show design services. Clean out your storage areas and get money back into your budget with our consignment program. Guard Closet is here to help you get all you want and need this winter season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. Hey everybody, this is Bill Ives from the Martin Pageantry Arts Museum in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania with this week's fascinating snippet of marching pageantry history. Did you know? The Cavaliers were one of the first corps to purchase the new Remo Mylar drumheads. Most corps at the time used calfskin for their drumheads that would keep taut by tightening the lugs on the drums. But once it rained, as it does in Miami, the heads start to sound mushy. So in 1957, they bought a set of Remo Mylar heads, which just came on the market in 1956. Because they were a plastic type of material, the rain did not bother the drums and sounded crisp the whole day, while the cabbies won the Junior Corps VFW Nationals because of the heads. Riley Raiders of the Philadelphia PA competed in the senior division and saw the cabbies in prelims. They decided to ask the cabbies if they could borrow their drums. That night, the Riley Raiders won the senior division. Now, the Cavaliers have beaten one of the top Eastern Corps called St. Vincent's of Bayonne, New Jersey. St. Vincent's has won the top drum trophy for the past five years at the VFW Championship and they were not too happy about losing to this corps from the Midwest. 
in the parking lot after the show, a few words were exchanged between members of St. Vidian's and Cabbies, and the next thing you know, there's a small group of members fighting. The Archer Airport Musketeers Senior Corps saw the fight. Most members of the St. Vinny's aged out of the Junior Corps and would go to the Musketeers. And Riley Raiders also saw the fight and came to the assistance of their new friends. It lasted about 10 minutes before all five were back to their respective buses. Competition was intense on the field and off the field back in the day. Stay tuned to the future podcast episode for more fascinating snippets from the colorful history of the wonderful world we call the Marching Arts. To learn more about the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum, go to marchingpageantryartsmuseum.org and follow us on social media. In 1993, Julian was inducted at Morgan State University as an honorary member of Kappa Kappa Psi National Honorary Band Fraternity for his outstanding achievement with the Morgan State University Magnificent Machine Band and in 2004 received a Silver Baton Award for Quality Service to Education and Music Arts. You spent 17 years as the creative instructor for the Morgan State University Marching Band, Julian. What was the biggest difference between working with color guards and drum corps to working with HBCU marching bands? You know, uh, you know what? It was um, free entertainment. <laughs> you didn't have to be so structured. You know what I mean? Um, uh, this this an opportunity just and be have a liberty. Uh, to do some things that nobody had else had done and to challenge the kids to do things that that other bands were doing that you wanted to do something different. And so that was that was my uh, my my main thing with Morgan State. Uh, I got this. I got the award in which I did not know I was getting. And that was my first year. That was my second year there. And the brothers of Kappa Kappa Psi. Uh, wrote a letter to the president of the Kappa uh, Kappa Outside Association out in um, Stillwater, Oklahoma, and said this guy should be given this because he actually turned this program around. Uh, so, how was the culture different? You know what? You you you. One of my favorite band was Michigan State. Just the way Michigan marched versus the, the HBCUs that have that um, free liber- free liberty opening the ballot, concert formation, block band, and then the exit. It was structured, you know what I mean? So you knew you knew what you were doing with that. And the only thing was to try to put songs together who what that was appreciating. The only difference the only difference was that I found is that no matter what you did, I never thought the uniforms matched the concept of what you were doing that year. But because of finances and everything like that, you had to go with the flow. That was the only difference to me. Mm-hmm. So, Brother Julian, we've gotten to the point in the show now. We always ask our guests and um, give them the opportunity to do a gush and go about something related to the marching arts. And I actually want to add on to that. What do you want to gush about the future in the marching arts? You know what? I'm going to take a page out of something. Okay. Um, and this happened with two groups. I can't think of the, the Japanese group that did the uh, the the dance thing in the Olympics, um, and the year that uh, cadets did the uh, opening. I mean, opening for the Olympics. I think that's where the activity is headed. Now, how do we get there? 
I think I think the only way it gets there is that we get there by universal uh, perspective because doing local and state and only having a machi coming over and and doing what they do or having somebody else coming from another country every once in a while do something. I think it has to find a um, a structural way of making the the winter guard activity uh, more broader. Mm-hmm. And choice-wise, of course, there's going to be a lot of groups that will not get that opportunity if if that was to ever happen. Will not get the opportunity to ever even see some to do something like that. But those groups that will have an opportunity if it should ever hit that level, you know, you take your hat off them because they have reached. I think we're at that stage now where we're at a theatrical. It really is at a theatrical stage where we can do anything. The only thing that I think it should do. I think that the world class should move up maybe three more uh, minutes to uh, to com- to just put a produ- a total production together. It goes by so fast. I know there's some things that you can't you want to see and you can't see. Thank you so much, Brother Julian. You're a wealth of knowledge and your stories are bar none. They are fantastic. I can't believe what you went through as an individual in this activity and making your way. I appreciate you. Thank you. And everyone, back to rehearsal. We're back in a moment. Julian is such an amazing storyteller. And to think he was a part of the transition into modern day color guard and marching band just amazing. Well, another amazing woman is our girl, Whitney. She's here this week for another dose of wisdom from Whitney. Take it away. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Wisdom with Whitney. This week, we're going to just briefly touch on how to get out of your own way. So the majority of what we do is, is mental. There is a lot of physical to what we do, obviously but so much of it is just a mental game. So getting out of your own head and telling yourself that you can do this instead of having doubts and negativity is gonna take you so much farther. You're gonna be able to accomplish so much more as a performer and as a team, if you can all decide that you're just gonna be positive about your approach to things and not have a negative or an I can't attitude with everything. And once you can break free from those negative ideas and thoughts, then you have the ability to connect with the audience on a deeper level because there's not this invisible layer of doubt and um, fear between you and the audience anymore. You can bring them into your show and make them a part of your performance and your memories of the performance. I still remember from 14, 15 years ago, performing to some of my friends at WGI finals in the audience and having that moment and connection with them. And that's so special and it will remain in my heart forever. Those also happened to be some of the most memorable shows that I've been in, the ones where I've been able to connect with the audience. And still to this day, there are people that say they love those shows and they don't remember if we won or not Um, and many of them we did not win some of the shows that i won wgi with are not as memorable and we didn't really connect with the audience in a way that we would have hoped but a lot of times when we were second or third or not even in a medalist spot just in finals people love those shows and they connect with them because we connected with the audience 
And that is the most important part, is making your art memorable and really just showing everybody what you are capable of. Thanks, Whitney. I agree with Julian and Whitney. It is not always about first, second, or third, but a memorable performance. Don't you all agree? Like, what was a show that you fully remember that probably didn't place all that well, but is still truly iconic? You know, not even placing well. It's, for me, I get more joy and excitement when my smaller groups, the less, you know, experienced ones, place in the top three or metal. Like, their excitement and joy is, like, beyond, you know, more than some of the other groups that are expected to be there. I, I, get, I, get, I, I back you on that. Um, <laughs> I will probably have to say um, anytime that there is one of those runs that happens, and you know what? <clears throat> Nine times out of ten, those runs happen at rehearsal. So they're not in front of a, they're not in front of a group or not in front of an audience. But like, yeah, where you just feel it, the energy is there with the other people on the floor. When you're watching that happen with a group, like just sitting with the rest of the staff and being like, oh my goodness, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. So yeah, completely. I get it. We did something similar to this whenever I was in Blue Stars. We actually had like our very last run through in rehearsal of our full show. And then we did that and it was like great and everyone was like oh that's the end that's the end and then <clears throat> the staff left and they were just like okay we're gonna go now and you guys can do the show again if you want and oh. if you do it's like the end and that's it and it's just for you and there's no audience and oh. or you know you can just be done and you can go back to your air mattresses or whatever and be done for the night and like we stayed as a core without the staff and then did the final run through. And that was like the most amazing energy of my entire performing career, I swear. That's so emotional. <laughs> yeah, we used to do a thing called the midnight run when I was in drum corps on um, either, you know, prelims night or semis night. And the corps would just get up on their own at midnight and do a run through. So like the energy, maybe not the cleanest of things, but the energy was just like, you know, so thick in the air, you know, your goosebumps, your, you know, you. It's such a cool thing. It's a, yeah, it's great. Okay, everyone, let's do some gush and goes. This is the time in the show where our hosts get to gush and go on about anything they want having to do with the marching arts. This week, we even have a special gush and go from one of our future guests. Let's start with our first guest, Derek Walker. He's the director of fine arts and director of bands at Cedar Hill High School in Texas. All right, I'm Derek Walker. And again, I'm director of fine arts at Cedar Hill ISD in Cedar Hill, Texas. My gushing goal is for you to get involved some way in the fine arts. The fine arts build better scholars. They build better scholars. If anyway, if you want to volunteer, even if you're 50 years old and you want to pick up the guitar and learn guitar lessons, involve yourself into the fine arts. Start doing more fine arts activities with your family. It's going to make you a, just a better overall person. And I think if more people are involved in the fine arts, we'll have a better society. Thank you, Derek. Yes, go do fine arts anytime, anywhere. Music and artistic expression is so important to good mental health and a thriving society. Nicole, why don't you continue your, with your gush and go? Oh my goodness, what could I not gush and go about? First of all, <laughs> first of all, um, still gushing and going about the cookout. 
Um, we are starting to put up all of our stuff about our presenters and our legacy award winner. And it's nothing um, that anybody should not know about, but I'll just tell you really quick, um, our legacy award winner is Rodney Bailey. So we're gonna be honoring him. Um, our presenters are Michael Rosales, Wayne Harris, and Disha Dreyer. So I'm excited for everyone to get to hear from them and experience them. Thanks, Nicole. I always love hearing about the cookout. <laughs> All right, Tom, what about you? Oh, goodness. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for Saturday. I get to judge about 40 groups, about 10, 15 percussion, the rest are color guard. I'm just excited for a long day of pageantry. Woohoo! We love those long days of pageantry. <laughs> okay, cool. Daniel, what do you want to gush and go on about? It could be literally any topic that you want in the marching arts. How's about, um, well, you know, again, I have a lot to reflect on, but Light Brigade, I have to refer to them. It's just so many things. Um, crowd favorites, they have, no matter what they're doing, it's always they have a crowd favorite. They are a crowd favorite. They get the stands, they get the people standing up in the stands, and they've always been a fearless group, always, ever since I've known them. Um, they do, they used to do back, way in the back, back then, what people do now, fearlessly. I mean, they'd go and run off like playing basketball and, oh, let's do some triple turnarounds. And they do triple turnarounds under triples. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they were fearless. And once they stepped out into the world and, and you know, took it on by storm. They were crowd favorites from here to London. <laughs> Had the people just going to London with them and they literally brought the stadium down. So I grew up in New England. So I got to see Light Brigade a lot when I was growing up as a kid. And like, I just remember all the energy when they came into the gym. Oh my goodness. It was, you know, whether it was going to be the cleanest show or not, it was going to be the most exciting show of the night. Right. <laughs> they, they, they see it like a competition with each other, a friendly competition. If, if Joe next to me can do that, then I'm going to keep trying until I can do the same thing. And they kind of push each other to be able to do the things they do, but in the version of a family. It's all, it's one of the things I love about them. They're just one tight knit family. So they're never going to let each other go out on the floor and not be prepared. And the consequence, mm -hmm. the consequence of that, unfortunately, is that they're going to beat somebody because the crowd's going to stand up on their feet. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love the crowd favorite? I mean, that's like, it's in the name. I need to gush and go on about my new course that is launching next week on marching arts education. I'm so excited about it. You know, I did this flag spinning for beginners and beginning instructors course with Tim Hinton of marching arts education. And it went so well. I went ahead and did a, um, uh, a rifle yep. spinning course. So basically, I think it's called Rifle Made Easy is the name we ended up <laughs> going with. And uh, it's just, it was so neat to be able to like go through and actually put down on paper, like all of the sort of curriculum and the way that I teach rifle mm -hmm. and like the progression of how it goes, that it just, it, it's awesome to be able to offer that through such an awesome platform like Marching Arts Education so that other people can sort of take what we do at Spintronics and apply that to their own program. And then they can use it as a guide or they can, you know, they don't have to follow it exactly. They can just use it as like tips and tricks or just to see what other people are doing. 
it's great for band directors. It's great for guard instructors. It's great for performers. I know some programs that use our flag spinning course to like send out assignments to their performers and say, okay, well, here's your assignment for this week. And you know, it's got videos, it's got um, reading material. It's got so much stuff there that you can use it as part of your class. So it's, it's just such a great opportunity to be able to offer this through the Marching Arts Education platform. And I love it. Congratulations. Okay. Nice. Now that we are all hydrated, let's hear from someone who make who may make us all cry out the hydration. It's Cindy Berry, aka Leander Mama, here with her Mama Minute for the week. Hello, band friends, and all you history buffs out there joining us today. It's time for today's Mama Minute. Now, most of you all know me as Leander Mama or as Cindy, a former Leander band mom. But once upon a time. I was just a young band student in the color guard at a private school in Memphis, Tennessee. And back then, in the dark ages when I marched, everyone was marching what they now refer to as military style. We pretty much just formed a few different simple shapes and marched around in an eight to five box pattern across the field. Now since I was in the color guard, we got to do a few more exciting things like form a giant arch behind the band at certain points during our show. One time, we even got to march to the front sidelines and perform about 20 measures of choreography. I mean, this was marching band at its finest, y'all. The highlight of our marching season was going to West Tennessee marching contests and competing against other bands who were also pretty much just marching in some type of grid formation on the football field. And we were all pretty good at this style of marching. And honestly, we just weren't familiar with any other way. So this was great. Now fast forward to 2013 when my youngest daughter was a freshman in the Leander High School marching band. I remember at our first parent preview being so excited to sit and watch my child marching in the exact same way that I had marched all those years ago. Right? Wrong. I had no idea what I was about to witness and let me tell you it was a shock to this 1980s band style mama. I think my forehead was in a permanent scrunch of confusion that entire first season at Leander, especially watching the color guard not only run and dance around the entire field, but to also witness the band members doing jazz runs to their next formation. I remember looking at my husband in extreme bewilderment and saying, I don't know what this is, but I have never seen marching band look like this. And I'll be honest, that first year, I just really didn't like it, like at all especially when I witnessed the likes of Claudia Taylor Johnson High School practically performing a Broadway show in the Alamo Dome. I remember thinking, this is awful, and will someone please put me in a time machine and take me back to the 80s? Well, there were no time machines, and fortunately, by the time the 2014 season was well underway, I was coming around to this peculiar new style of marching band. Core style, as many refer to it. And of course, it's not new but it was new to me. And I could see the merit in shows that not only featured amazing musical arrangements, but they also had a theme and told a story in the process. And I could even appreciate the beauty in a style of marching that wasn't so rigid and full of tight formations, but that was more free flowing and frankly, more artistic. And I loved how the color guards helped to tell the stories with their beautiful costumes, gorgeous flags and theatrical movements on the field. Yes, it took me well over a year, but I did come around to not only enjoying this core style of marching band show, but to actually falling in love with it. 
And that love has really only grown exponentially since then. Well, the moral of this story, I would say, is yes, the military style has its place in marching band history. And we do need to give credit to that type of marching today because it's actually still a thing. And those kids are quite phenomenal at what they do. Many college bands are still marching this way, in fact. Not every band marches core style. In fact, the historically black colleges and universities have their own style of marching, and it's called show style. And if you have never watched an incredible HBCU band like Jackson State University or Prairie View A&M, then you are truly missing out on another historic and extremely entertaining style of marching band. Well, that's it for today's history lesson with Leander Mama. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope that you all will have opportunities to see different types of marching shows and that you will appreciate each and every one of them for the pure art form that they really are. Have a great week, everyone, and join me next time for another Mama Minute. I didn't know that Cindy also did marching band. I mean, can you imagine going from traditional marching band you learned as a kid <laughs> to watching your kid at Leander High School? Wow. That is quite a big leap. You have to embrace the change in tradition. They go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. What do you all think about traditions versus change? Right. I think it's all relative. I mean, we all evolve and all of the, uh, you know, everything evolves. But I really think it's important for, like, if we know about our own history. It's important to know about the history of the activity, you know, um, where it came from, you know, because anything that we do that's super hard right now came from something else. So, you know, it's nice to know where your roots are. Yeah, you got to adapt the traditions, you know, um, <clears throat> modernize them, keep them as part of, part of the program for sure. So, Daniel, how long has Light Brigade been around? If it's not in the 50s, it's close to 50 years or so. I mean, oh, yeah. is it 47? Say There's again? a 47th year this year. That's that's right. I, I, well, I knew it was close to fifty. That's right. They're celebrating their forty seventh year, so, and yeah. it's it's straight. They've never taken a year off, whether it's just local or not. They've yeah. Sheila Henderson was our Legacy Award winner last year for the cookout. Yeah. She's a director of the brigade. She certainly is. She has been. Again, I'll say, I have the privilege of her allowing me to be to have my first teaching job with her group underneath of her directorship i owe my career to her <laughs> well, and you've been with them for she's you great. know a good chunk of time here what are your perspectives on like how they have sort of embraced change and still like held true to their traditions at the same time like what is the balance there yeah i let's see i started doing drum corps when the idea of a thematic show outside kind of came into realization. Santa Clara Vanguard was doing Phantom of the Opera on the field. Oh, I absolutely loved that year. That's one of the reasons I got involved in drum corps. I came for the first year. So I came into what I knew about drum corps between Crossman and that was outdoor pageantry. But I came from a military school, so I've seen JROTC, Color Guard, what they call it. I, we had a color guard that was like an honor guard, but we competed against high schools who had winter guards and 
drum corps like marching band. So I was kind of familiar with it. I was familiar that I was seeing the first color guard come on the floor with no feet, no shoes, with first tarp. So I was in when I, I have knowledge of it being strictly a military-based thing that turned into a sport, that turned into pageantry, that turned into an art. I watched WGI go through their descriptions of it and did it become termed the sport of the arts. So it has come through. Yeah, I've watched it. It's <laughs> yeah, the old time. Yeah, the old time. The other old timers sometimes that say, "I remember when the tick system and you blah blah blah, and you couldn't do this." And <laughs> the activities come an extremely long way. <laughs> the activity has come an extremely long way, and that is the perfect thing to get us into our news segment because our first story today is the biggest story. Oh my gosh, Tennessee State University won. A Grammy. And if you have not seen, they had some incredibly inspiring videos online of the band watching the Grammys together on a big screen. And they just went nuts whenever their win was announced. It is so cool to just see them coming together and like celebrating this together. I would be crazy too if I were like, I just want a Grammy. (laughs) Now, does each member get a Grammy to take home or is that just one for the shelf at the band room? Oh, I don't know. I think they all need to get a bunch of mini Grammys for every single band member. Like a mini, yeah, a mini plastic Grammy. <laughs> Just be like, I'm sorry, me and 200 other people <laughs> got this. <laughs> but that's so cool. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch it either. So uh, like, what were their other marching bands or was it because they were back up to someone? Like how, how did that work out? From what I understand, they were part of an album that won a Grammy, and it was like a, um, a folk album category. I actually didn't watch, sit down and watch the whole Grammys. I just don't have the kind oh. of attention span for that anymore. <laughs> so I've just been kind of watching the recaps online and watching like the different little bits that get posted on social media. I, it was either, it had to be like Beyonce or Lizzo. Actually, Lizzo would have used U of H because that's where she went. Well, there's been a lot of groups. I mean, like Music City Mystique's drumline has been in famous videos, you know, Riverside Community Whoa. College. Okay. Uh, well, I'm completely... <laughs> right. That's, <Already> nice. then. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? I'm glad it's not mainstream as, it, as I would like for it to be <clears throat> yet, but like... Marching band on the Grammys. I mean, that puts you enough in front of people to let you know what stuff is. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool that we're just getting to share this little bit of our Mm -hmm. marching band culture. And especially with it being like February and it being like an HBCU and, Mm -hmm. you know, so much cool stuff going on with all of that. It's it's just really, really awesome for our activity to get this kind of exposure in like Mm -hmm. mainstream entertainment industry sort of uh, genre. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Tom, do you have some drumming news over in your section of the podcast today? As much as I would like it to be just drumming. um, But that is coming soon. That's just, you know, a week away or so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) The, The Battle of the Bands. Um. This is the the HBCU style battle of the bands, 
And if you haven't seen any any stuff like this before, it's not it's not DCI, it's not drum corps, it's not your typical marching band. This is purely designed to to generate energy and grass up the audience at halftime. And when these bands come together to throw down, you need like serious ear protection. It's amazing, and and so much energy comes out of these groups. If if you haven't checked it out, I. You, you should, you know, just even on watching online, yeah. you can feel it coming through. You know, it's it's good stuff. These battles, um, I've learned. I've I was educated today Ooh. Uh, <laughs> by the recording of the podcast that I did um, about band battles and band brawls, and like they can. Oh yeah, yeah, they last like. <laughs> They can last like an out, like it, it, when a band brawl is happening, it is like a band to a band. It can last like an hour and a half. It's serious business. Oops. Yeah. And super exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, not to make joke, but it's like, you know, Zoolander with the walk off. It's, you know, who can do it better? You can do that. Well, guess what we can do. <laughs> oh, Zoolander's my favorite movie. Yeah. Like, underground marching band sort of stuff versus you know what you actually see in the media oh cool <laughs> nice. all right nicole uh you have been hanging out in dci land recently mm-hmm. so what do you got from there i have i have i have so uh dci has done a um an article about um pyro lugo allen and he they are going to be the new uh director at blue nights so yeah here's the big thing about this too like i i know luke allen so uh really good friend of mine (laughs) and so i'm i'm super excited about it but i think the 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 huge thing is too it's like this is the first um non-binary person of color to be in that position in dci so I think it's uh, it's an amazing thing to shine some light on him or sorry on them. And um, so the other thing is too, like Lugo's uh, background is uh, with the Cavaliers. So um, they had marked with the Cavaliers and honestly talking about like first time they ever went to a show or even performed. It was love from count one. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that kind of like runs in their blood and I just can't wait to see what Lugo turns out. I think it's, I know it's going to be great. Cool. That could be a whole show right there. Talking about all of our first times where we went, Oh, I'm hooked. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let me have your aha moment. please. (laughs) Okay. Let's throw it to you, Daniel. What news story have you brought to us today? Well, it looks like the pride of Oklahoma got to perform at a pretty iconic funeral. The first woman ever in Oklahoma's marching band was 103 years old. So that is not only, that's a rare funeral. And I mean, a one of a kind privilege for that marching band. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is wisdom. You cannot, like the years of that. Oh man. Wow. Okay. Wait a minute. So think about, all of the things that she has been through with marching band. Okay. So like she was the first woman and then like that in itself, you know, we love marching band here, obviously, but to be 103 years old. Okay. Let's just, 
talk about that. But when when was she born? What year was it? That would be 1919. So you're telling me she has seen yeah. the Great Depression. <laughs> a lot she has seen history. World War II yeah. and, and everything that's happened since then. She has basically <laughs> been alive longer than we've had competitive marching band as we she was a teacher she was a teacher herself talk about seeing the evolution of the activity wow <laughs> right absolutely she was the first woman in oklahoma's marching band ever oh wow and then i yeah. keep getting hung up on the fact mm. that she was the first woman in the marching That's band awesome. like wow. back like there was a time when women weren't allowed to be in marching band and she was the first one like what a trailblazer absolutely it had to be just the amount of yeah. years of wisdom that she must have had in the stories. It's, that's incredible. All right, everybody. Thanks for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Nicole, Tom, Cindy, Whitney, and Trevor for being our hosts <laughs> and our guest host this week, Daniel. Did you have fun? I, absolutely. I'm glad I came home early. This was such a thrill. You made my day. <laughs> well it is awesome i'm so glad i got to meet you likewise it's a pleasure uh thanks also to julian williams for giving us a valuable history lesson guys go subscribe write us a review share this with a friend we will see you at the next rehearsal on a water break go practice <laughs>